This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. It's going to be a quick one today because it's been another of those busy weeks, but lots to get through. And one great piece of advice that I would give you is that the most useful word in the English language is the word no. The word no is a word of power, is a word of honesty and is a word of love. So you know that when you were growing up, your parents or your guardians said no to you quite a lot. As a little child, you wanted to eat ice cream before dinner, and they said no. And the reason why is because if you ate ice cream before dinner, then you would not be able to eat your dinner, and it's unhealthy. And the ice cream is a treat, not a main meal. And you want to run across the road and your parents says no very loudly. And so it's deployed in childhood in a very protective way. And it is evidence of love. It's proof of love. And actually, if you look at modern parenting, which is more permissive, more laissez-faire, more relaxed. Children are getting the word no less. They're, they're being told no less. And I think it sets them up for problems in later life because there are no boundaries. What's great about a childhood in which the word no is a perennial theme is that when you don't have your parents anymore and you're independent and you're living your own life, then you can say no to yourself. Um, I'm a huge fan of Alan Carr's book on smoking. And he's actually got a range of other books, one on alcohol, one on sugar, one on smartphones, a whole range of um, addictions. And funny enough, even if you're not a smoker or a drinker or addicted to your smartphone, just read any of those Alan Carr books. He's not the comedian from the United Kingdom, but a very clever addiction guru who's no longer alive, a chain smoker. Uh, but his his technique, which is called Easy Way, works for, for any addiction. So you could actually buy his book on smoking and just replace the word cigarette with chocolate or ice cream or whatever it is that you're hooked on. Um. And it's very clever because it teaches you a mechanism of how to give stuff up. It teaches you how to how to make the word no an active an actual an act. So um I, I can, for example, you know, I could, uh, when I went low carb, right, I eliminated carbohydrates from my diet, lost a lot of weight, felt much better. 
Um, I just, when it came to bread or rice or pasta or potatoes, I just deployed the word no, but I made it an action word. So it wasn't just this sort of passive abstract idea of no, you can't have it. It was tangible. It was the word no, you're not having it. And what I'm achieving there, if there's something unhealthy that you do, something self-destructive, you bite your nails, you're always late, you are temperamental or short-tempered with your partner, whatever the issue is, um, if you can activate that mechanism which says, no, not going to do that anymore, you have a cutoff, you are your own mum, you are your own dad, and you just say, look, I know you want those cookies, but you're trying to lose weight. It's an amazing superpower to say no to yourself. And it can be done. It's the million pound test, isn't it? You say to me that I cannot give up bread, couldn't live without bread. If I said, if you don't eat bread for a year, I'll give you 10 million pounds. You won't eat bread, will you? You won't, come on. 10 million pounds for no bread. You will not eat bread. And not only will you not eat it, you will not eat it with enormous pleasure because people offer you bread. You go, thank you. I, I, I don't eat bread. I won't be having bread because in a year's time, I'm going to have 10 million pounds. You'll be smiling about it. Well, um, that is how you get yourself to stop doing things is that you have a positive outcome. There's a positive reason to do it. So I cut the carbohydrates, right? And it wasn't fun because I gave up all those nice things like sugar and bread and rice and pasta and beer and potatoes. But in my head, I'm thinking I will be leaner, okay? Which I wanted to do because I was starting to get that beer belly. And my body started to shrink and I got the reward from having said no to myself. So saying no can become a buzz. It's a thrill. It's like a drug in its own right, depriving yourself of stuff. That's why so many religions teach fasting and, and encourage you to do fasting. Because with fasting, um, you're depriving yourself of food, aren't you? And it's mind over matter and it can be done. You don't have to eat, right? You're not going to die if you don't have that sandwich. So the word no is a word of power, a word of love. And if you say no to your children, that is evidence that you love them. So, for example, your your um, I don't know, your son says, hey, uh, I'm 15. But do you mind if I go to this party where it's mainly 20 year olds? You just say no, you're not going. Now, they will be so angry and so furious and they scream and yell and shout and cry into their pillow. But. In years to come, they'll thank you. A friend of mine, when she was young, she was maybe like 16 and she was really into tennis. And her tennis coach wanted to take her abroad for like a tournament. And it's a male tennis coach and in her, she's 16. And the family, mum just said, no, no, you're not. You're not. I know you're really keen to do this tennis thing, but you're not, not going to go with this coach. And my mate was very angry and very upset, really wanted to just pursue the dream of, of tennis and go to a tennis tournament. But the mum did not like the circumstances of just this male coach and her abroad. And that may or may not have been unfounded, 
But looking back on it, my mate is like, yeah, that was the right thing to do because I was 16. And therefore, you know. I don't have to say more than that, do I, really? It's not it's not the best duty of care, really, for a 16-year-old girl just to go off with a, with a bloke on a tennis tournament. It's just it's no reflection on that guy or the girl. But it's just not, it's not really, you know... It's it's just why leave the door open to anything that could then impact that person's life. And of course, now she looks back on it and is, you know, completely understands why and is very pleased that they made that judgment. So as you go about your life, why don't you use that word no more for yourself? Right. But but the thing is, some people go a bit mad and, and they do no for like all nice things that they would like. So some people... They don't give themselves a break. They don't take a holiday. They don't take a lunch break. They don't get enough sleep. They don't eat well. Um, they're saying no to things that, that they need, actually. So identify your no list. OK, how about that? I quite like that. A no list. It's a list of things that you want to say no to. These are things that you do, that you have an impulse to do, but which you would rather you didn't do. OK, so it could be picking my nose leaving wet towels on the floor, um, talking myself down, eating shortbread biscuits at midnight, um, not putting my laptop in a protective sleeve and then something always goes wrong, it gets wet or it gets broken. And that one's autobiographical. Um, you make your no list and then just in the course of the day, just... When the impulse comes, just remember that key word, that little thing that you've got in your locker. It's the word no. So it is a word of love <clears throat> to others. In other words, little Johnny, you cannot run across the road or have ice cream before dinner. It's a word of love to yourself, which is no, you're not going to talk yourself down. Or no, you're not going to eat that donut. <clears throat> but it's also a word of power. So let's say you, you are at work and you're just one of those people. I, I will tell you that I'm one of those people, very accommodating, very agreeable. And I don't say no enough in a professional setting because I just want people to like me and I want to be agreeable and I don't enjoy friction or conflict. And I'm I mean, I know that it's weird to describe yourself as nice, but I think I am more or less nice. And it's a terrible affliction. It's awful. Are you too nice? Oh, my God, I'm too nice. And that's something, actually, I need to do some work on being less nice. So I might I might actually, you know, that's a good future podcast, isn't it? Um, learn not to be so nice. I bet you lots of you suffer from that. And then people that are not so nice take advantage, don't they? Um, but I can tell you one way to diminish being too nice, and that is saying no. And there have been times recently where in a professional context, I've been asked to do something I would normally say yes, because I'm accommodating. And then I just said, no, I'm not going to do that. And it's very liberating. And you'll be surprised how very often people accept it. I mean, look, I don't want to get you in trouble at work, let's say, and you know, you go off and the boss asks you to do some assignment and you say no and then you get fired and it's all my fault. So you've got to judge 
that saying no is not going to cause major harm to you. But generally it won't because what you're doing when you say no to a colleague is you're showing confidence and power. You're establishing boundaries. You're demonstrating your personal sovereignty. And you're educating the person that you just said no to. You're educating them about what you will do and what you won't do. And you just say, no, I'm not going to do that. It's it's tough. It takes a bit of courage. But once you've said it, if it's something that you don't want to do, remember the no list is things that you don't want. You're going to say no to yourself. But you can have a no list of things for other people, things that you will not do for other people. You know, you could have a thing with dating, which is I'm not going to sleep with someone until the 10th, the 10th date. Right. And if it's the ninth date and they try it on, it's like, no, no, I've been, I've been there before. I've done one night stands and I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to protect myself. Right. It doesn't, doesn't make me feel good. And so that is no to someone. And by the way, let me tell you about male psychology. If you say no to a guy in regards to intimacy, his respect for you will grow, you know? And that's why, like I've said, the word no is a word of power. It gives you power. And he's trying it on. You're like, no, I barely know you. And you're going to have to wait. And that's a good thing. It's the order of the universe. So there you go. Let's celebrate the word no. We've done previous shows about the power of yes. And you might say, well, aren't you contradicting yourself? Because the word yes is such a valuable word. And now you're saying the word no is a valuable word. Well, yes. The bottom line is the two most important words in the world are yes and no. But we deploy them wrongly. And we often say yes to things that we don't want to do. And that's where no comes in. And sometimes we say no when it should be yes, such as pamper yourself, take a little break. Um, so so there you go. So but that whole episode on, on yes is, is fantastic because that's about, you know, yielding to other people's ideas. And if someone says, hey, let's go to the opera, you know, I don't like opera. I've never been to the opera. It's not my thing. Well, you know, try it. Don't knock it till you've tried it. It's a wonderful adventure. Um, but But the focus today is on no. So this week, see if you can work on that. Because the word no is a word of power and a word of love. Oh, and one other thing. It's a word of honesty. Um, that ties in with power. OK, if you say no, you become a powerful person because honesty is a superpower. And when you when the boss says, oh, I want you to do this field trip with the team and I want you to go to Wales, you go, no, I'm not, I don't want to do that. Um, you are showing power. And that person will respect you more and look up to you more. Isn't that amazing? By being um, less convivial and less amenable and less agreeable, you get more respect and treated better. Whereas if you always say yes and do things you don't want to do, you get treated worse. It's really unfair. It should be the other way, other way around. If you're super agreeable and really nice, then life should be great to you. But it, I'm afraid isn't. How strange is that? Um, I've been around lots of people, lots of teams the last few days, which 
I think is probably the favourite part of my job. I do broadcasting and oh, what are the favourite parts of my job? Well, there's a few things. First of all, I love to be around my colleagues. I love the team. I find human beings very interesting. Every human being is like a really good movie that you haven't watched yet or a book you haven't read or a song you haven't heard. And then what happens is you get to know that person. Then it's like, that's it. You started reading the book. So let's say there's a guy at work and he's called Bobby and he's in a sales department, you know, and you're, you're with him for like two, three weeks. You're getting to know Bobby. That's like two or three chapters into the book, isn't it? And so I find very few people really boring. You know, everyone's got a story. Everyone's interesting in their own way. Everyone's talented. Everyone's special. And if you think they're not... It's only because their talent and what's special about them is hidden or indeed withheld or suppressed. And this show is very much about tapping into that and getting it out of people for you to draw out what's special about you. Uh, by the way, that word no, and you say no, I don't want to go on the field trip. You're also being more yourself. You're being more authentic. And you'll be trusted as well, by the way, because it's very honest. People that say no, they're the honest people. They're the people you can trust. I asked Ray to do this thing and he said no. Ray's, Ray's trustworthy. He's not slippery. Or is it, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Ray will do that. No, no, no. Ray said no. It kind of is, it's, it really defines somebody as being a straight, honest character. And honesty is, is a superpower. So... I've been around people and I do love that. And I like to get to know people and I love the process of collaboration. And we had this sort of round table discussion about something. One of my colleagues said, you don't, we don't need everyone's opinion. And I know there are time pressures, so I completely understand where that was coming from. But actually in a team, I do want everyone's opinion. And I like to run quite a flat hierarchy. Well, it's not flat. It's like um, a really, it's like a sort of steep mountain, the hierarchy that I like, which is it's sort of flat. And then you've sort of got me and then perhaps the line manager who make the final decision. But below that, everyone's opinion is equal. Because, you know, in a workplace, you could have the most junior member of the team and the, the CEO. And if the junior member of the team has the best idea, then that's the one that should prevail. It is the competition of ideas, not of egos. And if the most junior member of staff has come up with a product idea, which is going to transform the company, well, then you go with it. And you ignore the boss whose idea is rubbish and will lose the company money. The problem you've got is in corporate settings, Normally, the, the senior people, they make all the decisions in a very undemocratic and non-collaborative way from on high. And I think you will see that there are patchy outcomes. Whereas if you've got a business which has a flat hierarchy in which everyone has a voice, then you are open to ideas. Well, a wonderful plurality, a wide spectrum of ideas and life experience that um, means that the best ideas will come. One of my first jobs in telly was as a TV comedy writer. 
and there was the producer who was called Pete. And he was experienced, an experienced comedy producer. And he used a lot of writers on his shows. And the reason he did that is because like every week we were doing this show and it was presented by a comedian. And he would do a stand-up routine about a theme. So like one week it would be, you know, married life. Another week could be food and drink. Another week could be childhood, you know. It didn't matter. It was just a theme. And our job was to sort of come up with funny jokes about those themes. And he used a big team and he said, what I want, the reason why I employ so many of you is that I don't want to miss anything. Like he said, there might just be one particular idea about, you know, married life and being married and husband and wife and all that. And there might be just one joke and it's the 30th joke from the 10th member of the team. And that, that was the joke that we needed. So he kind of went for this sort of volume approach of having, you know, he liked to take delivery of all of the scripts at the end of a day. And he would just go through it and he would very happily have 100 pages to get through. And he would whittle it down to one page or even half a page. But he's very happy to have all of that material to work through because he didn't want anything to kind of slip through the net. He wanted to cover all bases every angle covered and I think that's why he was a great leader so when I have a meeting with the team and it's a big team I want to solicit all of their input and sometimes there'll be a team member or two that you feel is not great and you're almost thinking uh, we could really do without this person quite frankly, they're making up the numbers. And and of course, you know, that's an issue and you perhaps need to look at that, give that person the opportunity to change. And if they can't, then they shouldn't be in the team, actually. You've got to, you've got to cut away the dead wood. You've got to weed out whatever it is you weed out, the things that are weeds. Because um, it's not fair on the others. It's not fair on the really good members of the team if there are weak links because it brings them down, diminishes the product whilst they're working so hard. You're, you're at cross purposes because one person's pushing things forward and then someone else is pulling it back. Not good. Plus, by the way, uh, an underperforming member of the team who isn't able to get better and cannot improve and has an attitude issue will negatively impact the good people and make them less good. And maybe they will be infected by this bad attitude themselves because human beings are pack animals. So altogether, you do have to get rid of rubbish people. But um, what was my point? Oh, yes, that you could be having a meeting. And let's say there's a member of the team that's weaker than the others, right? They're just not as good. But that doesn't mean that occasionally they will not come up with a zinger of an idea, right? So somebody rubbish can be just brilliant occasionally. So it's like my my boss, my that, that guy, Pete, the comedy producer, you know, pack the room full of writers and get them to scribble all day long. And he doesn't care who the good writers are and who the bad writers are. He knows that at the end of the day, he's got 100 pages and he will find some gold in there. And he doesn't care where the gold comes from. So that's what I like about my job is to be around a team and to hear their ideas and to draw it's selfish. I'm like Count Dracula with the blood. I'm actually drawing 
their knowledge, their information, their experience. I'm hoovering it up. I'm taking it. I'm appropriating it for my own professional gain. What's not to like? Um, when I became a TV presenter, I used to have comedy writers and they were often very depressed people locked in a room, neglected, underappreciated, just sat there on the laptop, just churning out jokes. Well, I absolutely love bombed these writers because these are the people that are giving me material. I say these jokes on TV and people then laugh at those jokes and they go, oh, that, that guy's funny, isn't he? Well, no, I'm saying jokes out loud that someone else carefully thought of and wrote and crafted. So I looked after the writers a lot, talked to them a lot, thanked them a lot, sat in there, wrote with them, collaborated. Because if you're in a team, those people are there to help you. So don't don't work against them. Work with them. You know, it's in your best interests. Let me just switch the light off because I want to change the atmosphere a little bit because I don't know why. I just had the big light on there and then I've got the kind of proper TV lights in front of me and it's more atmospheric to have the lights on in front of me but not the light in the middle. It's one of those in this room it's so bad, the lighting, right, which is just a single light bulb hanging from the ceiling in a uh, rather makeshift lampshade. You don't get that anymore, do you? In a previous show, I talked about lighting and about how it's nice to have indirect lighting. But this thing is just a horrible dangly light in the middle, which is not good. My mum taught me about the importance of lighting. She used to have lamps on and stuff like that. She'd turn off the big light and have these nice angle poise lamps going. And candles, she liked candles. I'm against candles, by the way. I think they're a terrible fire hazard. Don't do it. But it was nice growing up. But I don't think it's worth the risk. Now, um, and I think they're bad for the air as well, if memory serves. Yes, it was um, the people and the group and the flat hierarchy. And also the other thing that I find interesting about having a team is that you have to become a psychologist and try to work them out. And the way that you do that is by looking at their facial expressions, at their body language, listening to the tone of their voice and listening to what they're saying. Everyone is very selfish and we're all in our own bubble and that's fine. It's human nature. But I'm here to put you in the 5% of special people. And the 5%, they are aware of those around them. And so I would say that in your life, your job is to manage people, okay? You need to be a people wrangler, right? You are like the shepherd to the flock that is the rest of humanity. People are your pets. Think of them as your pets. You're, you're watching them and almost training them up without them realizing they're being trained up. And by the way, this does sound really sort of creepy. And the bottom line is that you're their pet too. We're all pets. But if you are working in a team and it works for this, this approach is great for relationships too. But really, um, really take note of, of people, you know, just listen to them, watch them and pick up their vibes 
And everything that they do, what they're saying, their body language, it's, it's all messaging. It's all communication. And all you've got to do is just hear it. But it's amazing because the 95% of people, they don't. They just go around and they don't really listen to people and they don't really observe. They don't really come out of their own bubble. So I was working today and I'm, I'm with my team and I'm looking, when they talk, I'm looking at them and watching their face. And by the way, this is not conscious. This is just instinctive now. And like yesterday, I, I wrote some stuff and I could tell that my colleague was uncomfortable with it. She had like this pained expression on her face about something I'd written. And I said at the beginning of the meeting, oh, OK, I, I noticed she seemed like a bit concerned. I said, oh, that bit of scripting. Don't worry about that. What we're going to do. First of all, I'm not married to any of it. You can change it. Why don't you and I sit down with a laptop straight after this meeting? We'll go through it and we'll fix what you're worried about. Right. So what's happened there is I've seen this anxiety and that would have been in her head for the whole meeting. She's like, oh, he's written this bit. I don't like it. And I'm really worried. And then he's going to say it and I'm going to get in trouble and this and that. So I've immediately I just noticed it. I picked up on it. I could see. But other people in the 95 percent, they wouldn't they just go to the meeting and they've sent the script and the producer's uncomfortable, but they're not looking for those signs. They're not reading that person's. Uh, little you know that they're not picking up on the messaging and they just crash through the meeting and the person's just been worried throughout the meeting and there's all this tension and it's worry 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 it's a lack of communication so the communication is there um why don't you just hoover it up i mean this is what detectives do right this is you know detectives or police officers really good ones they're excellent at they look at body language when there's a suspect you know they look at their face and their facial expressions and what their eyes are doing and the tone of their voice and how heavily they're breathing and their posture and what they say. And it's the good detectives, you know, they'll always get to the truth. That's why they do these long interviews with people, because eventually the criminal lets their guard down. And the police officer's job is to just watch and observe and not say anything, just take it all in. There's a wonderful playwright and author called Alan Bennett, who most people in the UK would know. But if you don't check out his great work, his plays and his books and his comedy and his acting. He did a very good series of he wrote some monologues and it was just an actor sat in a studio for 20 minutes or half an hour, just basically doing a, a soliloquy, talking about their life. And what was it called? Talking Heads by Alan Bennett. I think it's on YouTube. You can also buy the the actual scripts of it as a book. But he uh, he's a very shy person. And he said that he um, what he does and what always used to do is just sit in a cafe and watch and listen to people and say nothing. And it would all go into his brain and then he could write and it would all come out again. It would go onto the page. But yeah, just remember that yesterday and I could tell my colleague was and, and it was amazing because I said, we're going to fix this after the meeting and don't worry, we can change anything. Immediately that person, my colleague, completely relaxed. And then we had a constructive meeting where we could focus on the issues of the day. And at the end of the meeting, I said, OK, right, let's go. Um, we sat down with my computer. We sat next to each other and we went through it and we removed the bits that she was worried about. We uh, rewrote it. We fiddled with it. Job done. What that also means is that next time she won't be so worried because 
there'll be something she reads that she doesn't like, but she'll have had that previous experience where we dealt with it. And she'll know, she'll have the confidence that that will happen again. She'll go, oh, I don't like that, what he's written there. But actually, I'll just mention it to him and it will be resolved because it was last time. So you win people's trust. Oh, what else have I got here? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, we know that the baseline of life is is pain. Life is difficult. That is the mantra of this podcast. And you might think that's depressing. It's not. It's wonderfully liberating to understand that difficulties existing, right? Problems, it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong or that you're a rubbish person. Problems in your life, to, to complain about problems in your life or to complain about life being difficult is to like, is complaining, it's like complaining about oxygen in the air. It's like complaining that the sun rises in the east or sets in the west. It's like complaining that gravity is a thing. Right? You're not going to complain about gravity. You're not going to fight it. It's there. You accept it. And it's it can be both a good and a bad thing, can't it? Let me give you some. Are there good examples of good gravity and bad gravity? Well, when you play with a ball, it's really fun the way it lands, isn't it? So that's a good gravity. But then if you trip over and land on your ass, that's bad gravity. But it's gravity. It's neither good nor bad. It's just there. Well, that's what problems are like. They're neither good nor bad. They just exist. And you know as well as I do that some problems are a gift. We talked about that last week. You didn't, you know, you did a job interview. You didn't get the job and you're devastated. Six months later, you get a better job. You know, like, well, thank God I didn't get that job because then I got the better job. Um. So, what was my point? It's very important that I get this point over to you. Oh, yes. So life is difficult. And I had a bit of a day of it. Actually, yesterday. There's a lot of stories about yesterday. Um, I was the victim of a bit of an online attack. A kind of orchestrated hit job on me via a video viral thing just a thing edited together that made me look bad because if you edit something in an extremely manipulative partisan way you can do that with almost anyone you remove the context and I kind of looked at half of it. I mean, I am very robust because with the background in stand-up comedy, you develop a thick skin. Rejection is not a problem. It's the nature of the business I'm in. And by the way, that ties in with the word no. I've had the word no said to me a lot. You know, you know when you sort of, there's a, an amazing gig that you might get. Maybe you're going to present some amazing TV show. You're down to the last two. You don't get it. They are saying no, aren't they? So another aspect of the no thing is that um, you, if someone says no, I really recommend that you take it really well. So let's say, you, let's say you're an actor and you audition for the part. It goes down to two people and then you don't get it. And they say, sorry, you don't, you, you know, you're not going to play this character. Um, you, you should love the word no. And you go, look, I completely understand. R really good luck with it. I'm sure it'll be great. And you, with grace, with grace and enthusiasm, you take the word no and you just luxuriate in it. And the reason why is because it will make the person that's just told you that you've not got the part 
think that you're better than you are. It, it raises your, it raises their perception of you. Their estimation of you is going to go up because like oh, he didn't get the part. And but he just was like really cool with it. If somebody, or, you know, we talked earlier about romance, right? Let's say that you want to have intimacy with your partner and they say no. If you kind of go, come on, bloody hell, you know, that's not great, is it? But if you want to be intimate with your partner and they say no, and you go, you know, of course, another time. That's a great, that's going to make that person feel very good and less defensive in the future. It's probably, you know, being cynical, the, the intimacy is more likely to happen uh, sooner if you accept no more readily. Because the messaging is much better than, you know, being pushy. You go the other way, you pull back and go, of course, there's no worries. It's all no worries, not, not at all. Let's go and see a movie. And yeah, it's reverse psychology. It's not a problem. You know, yeah, it's cool, man. So accept and luxuriate in the word no as well. It's a very good way to respond. You're also removing any any pain for yourself. So let's say, I mean, in a way, getting fired is like the word no, isn't it? It's a proper no. It's a no times 100 is you're fired. You get fired, you go, um, that's really, you know, I'm disappointed, but I understand. And um, thanks for my time here. I've really enjoyed it. Right? That's going to make the boss go, wow. And at that point, six months time, they'll probably call you back and get you back in. Because you were just like, oh, we, we sort of sacked him and he was like really fine about it and, and stayed in touch. And it was really pleasant. You're actually leaving the door open to being rehired. But if the person that gets fired rants and raves and smashes up the office, you know, he or she is not coming back, are they? Let's be honest. So um, so I had this, um, this little online little thing. And, you know, good luck to them. They're entitled to do that. And I am thick skinned and it was fine. And it's kind of what I do. It's the world I inhabit. So I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm relaxed about it. Um, and also a bit of me, you know, any, any noise, right? If people are talking about you, even if it's negatively, it is noise. As long as you haven't broken the law or some, done some horrific crime. It's, it's, it's not, it's not the worst thing. We do live in an era where noise is a currency. I mean, I don't provoke that, but if that's what happens, it goes with the territory. Anyway, but. It did happen. I caught looking at it and it did feel a bit like, oof, you know, it did it was a bit of a it was a bit of a blow to the solar plexus. You know what I mean? It was a little bit. Um, I was a bit uh, sort of deflated, maybe a bit down, maybe a tiny bit wounded. And first of all, I, I kind of deployed the the chimp paradox. You know, the, there's an episode about the chimp paradox book when it teaches you to manage your emotions. And first of all, um, I thought to myself, you know, you shouldn't be down about this because, you know, someone's had a go at you. They're they're just, you know, that's them, not you. That's not a reflection on you. So I tried to sort of intellectualize it and rationalize it and just go, look, you should, you know, it's designed to make you feel bad. Don't let them make you feel bad. Don't give them that pleasure. But it. You know, so that did help just thinking, yeah, exactly. This is the, the, the intended result of, of the, the abuse is for you to have pain. So if you don't have pain and you just take it all with a pinch of salt and laugh it off, then they have not succeeded. Um, so, so that did definitely help, took the edge off it. 
Um, but in the end, I just accepted. I thought, well, it's just a little painful and that's it. And so therefore I was just a little bit sad that day. Do you know what I mean? I could just, I just carried around this, this cloud. I, I picked my son up from school and we were sort of chatting, but I wasn't really very joyful because I was just carrying this around with me. And I just thought, well, that's something I can do. It is a negative experience and it's having a negative, giving a negative feeling. But I didn't fight it. I didn't go to the pub and drink 10 pints. I didn't go to a betting shop and gamble. I didn't take any drugs. You know, the usual stuff that somebody would do to escape the negative feeling. I just like it. It's there. And you just let it let it sit there and let it wash through you. And it will it does. It washes through if you don't fight it. That bit of pain, that bit of sadness, it just passes through. It is just organic. And then a really interesting thing happened, which is that I, that was yesterday during the day, and I was working. And in the evening, I wrote something on my show, which addressed the online attack, right? It was one intentional, but I just, I just put it into a bit of scripting that I did. And it just... My response, it was like my answer to this attack. And there was a sort of power to my response. A bit like, you know, let's say you're in a fight and you're being punched and you're just on the floor. And then what happened is that as the day went on, this was the moment where I sort of got back on my feet and then just punched back, you know, or at least defended myself. Uh, and I wrote this thing and it was a rebuttal, a response to this little online thing. And I did it and I said it and I broadcast it and I felt so much better. And all of the pain was gone. I mean, pain was a big word, but, you know, that little air of gloom was gone and I felt great. And so what had happened is that, you know, you've got that negative wave and then you sort of just you come back up like a phoenix out of the ashes. And what I, you know, will say to you, and I learned myself yesterday, is that we all have this amazing power. We're all very powerful people. We've got this amazing spirit. And my spirit was deflated, deflated, and then it rose up again. And it came back. And that's a really good thing. I hope, I want to apologise. I hope it's not too much about me, but I'm trying to tell you that story so that if there are parallels for you, um, I can, I can, I remember, I remember when, uh, when I was at school, um, you know, get a bit of bullied, right. And I, what I used to do, I would soak it up a bit. And then after a while, I've had sort of had enough of it and I'd sort of fight back, but in a, in quite a focused way, you know, there's a couple of people that are a bit bullies and then there was nothing I could do. It was sort of like defenseless cause I was a shy kid, but then I just thought, thought okay, well that guy, Ray, he's, he's a bu- bit of a bully next time I'll be ready for him kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And then next time he, he does the same pattern of bullying and then you've got a response. And then Ray's quite shocked and suddenly he doesn't bully you anymore. So it's a bit, it's a bit like that, you know? So you've got, you've got a spirit in you, you've got a power and, and let it, let it rise up, you know? And um, that's a lovely thing. I hope, I hope that wasn't too sort of vague what I've told you there. But um, that is... That is my experience of the last 24 hours. Now, how are we doing? This was supposed to be quite a snappy one. But yet, would you believe we've clocked up 43 minutes? How the hell did we do that? I blame you. 
seriously. Um, I mean, do you want a couple of more bits or not? I feel maybe, do you know what? I might go, shall I go rapid fire? Let's go rapid fire. Um, get the basics right in life. It's amazing how some of the really simple stuff we just mess up. The, the easy stuff, right? We, we're always thinking about how hard everything is. But then we often mess up the easy stuff. And I'm going to give you a sporting metaphor. I was playing pool the other day. Do you like pool? I love pool. Really uncomplicated. Dots and stripes. Beautiful. And I was playing pool with a friend. And, you know, I potted some really hard shots. And there was one game and I pulled off a couple of great shots, you know, really difficult shots. I was like, wow, how do you manage that? And then I had an easy shot. And I missed it. It's a really easy shot, I promise you. Straightforward, easy shot. The ball is near the pocket. And you've just done a hard shot. And now you've got an easy shot. And I potted the hard ball. And then I missed the easy ball, which is easy. It's an easy shot to do. So the lesson there is get the basics right. So in your life, you know, when you're doing some work-related thing got a project on the go sales pitch whatever it is um you know get the simple stuff right first the introduction hi and here's the product and here's its main unique selling point da, da, da. get those you know start with all of the important simple stuff get the basics right it's the same like stand-up comedy of course you want to have these perfect brilliant jokes which bring the house down but start with getting yourself on stage and speaking clearly and saying hello and making eye contact with the audience and actually getting the words out in the correct order and making sure the microphone's on and speaking correctly into it so you can be heard. Do you know what I mean? Just cover off the basics. I was watching someone play tennis today and they've just pulled off some amazing shots and then just an easy shot, they smashed the ball into the net and it is a fact that they did not need to do that. It is a fact that they could have got the ball over the net but because it was an easy shot, it didn't really try. Because like, oh, that's easy, and then bang, you've lost the point. And it undoes the, the, you know, the other great miraculous hard to do shots. So please try if you can to get the basics right and get the easy stuff right and nail the easy stuff. So in your work, do you know what's easy? Being on time. That's easy. That is in your gift. So just do that. That's one of the things you've got done. It requires no skill. You just, you're early, you're on time. Bang, jobs are good. And uh, dress correctly and, you know, stuff that is, stuff that is, you have an order of importance of things and just m make your way through it. But it's amazing how a lot of people mess up the simple basic things in life uh what about in your in your relationship or your marriage um get the basics right you know hug your partner every day express your affection for them uh empty the dishwasher you know what i mean just keep the uh, bathroom sort of clean these are all really basic aspects of a marriage how simple is that, you know, just to sort of put stuff away? But 
people don't. It's one of the basics. And yes, you've got all these complicated problems in a relationship with issues, God knows, financial problems or emotional issues and something that happened in your childhood is now affecting, you know, who you are today. And complicated, massive stuff. Absolutely, that's fine. That's all big and that's a lot of work to deal with that. But empty the dishwasher and make your bed and say I love you and offer them a cup of tea and you, you'll be amazed how far just the simple basic stuff takes you. It's underrated really. We take that for granted because I think we don't think it matters. But just really little stuff like that really matters. My wife hates it when I wear shorts or trousers without a belt because they hang off me and she sees my ass. And I'm afraid I've been doing this for years and it drives her mad. It's like, why can't I just not do that? So I've just reminded myself that I should really do that. It's because I don't like belts, by the way. That's my defence. Um, I think that jeans and shorts and stuff like that, I love the minimalism of just is closed with the button. I find the belt too formal. It's too organised. It's too rational. I love the minimalism of just like jeans, just buttoned up. But they do slip down a little bit, which is a problem. But yeah, there you go. Um, anything else? No, I think that will probably... Oh, yeah. Uh, can I just give you a, a little top tip, a little practical tip? Uh, and I've, for some reason, not done this since I was a kid, but I started doing it again recently, doing it again recently, which is that I had to go to work and I was in a hurry. And my hair was a mess. So I didn't have time for a shower. So I washed my hair over the bath. It's great. You can more or less keep your clothes on. Right? I mean, if you're very careful with the shower head, you can wash your hair whilst fully clothed. And it won't. the clothes won't get wet. Or you could just fold the collar of your shirt down a bit. If you want to do, you could remove your remove whatever you're wearing but um ideally you know you just uh kneel down and you quickly wash your hair and you've got well i only have cold water i do not shower with any hot water do you know that it's cold all year round the only time i cheat is in the real depths of winter when i'm getting the shampoo out of my hair i have slightly warm water like lukewarm water just to get the shampoo out and then i go back to cold and the reason why is because if I use cold, ice cold water to get the shampoo out, my, my head will freeze. But generally it's cold water. And uh, yeah, I just, I just have been enjoying just washing my hair over the, over the bath. You can also do it potentially in the sink as well, if you've got the logistics. But yeah, I'm enjoying the simplicity of just the over, over the bath, wash the hair without the palaver of a, of a shower. Also, I, I think I got like a flu three or four weeks ago and I'm better now, thank God. But I was very exhausted for quite a long time and I found that not having a full shower was like less tiring. I don't know why, it's quite a big deal. Isn't it? If you're tired and you have a shower, especially because I have a cold shower, so it's like a shock to the system. I didn't want to put myself through that when I was run down. So quite often I would just wash my hair over the bath and I enjoyed it. And it reminds me of my childhood. For some reason, we did a lot of washing the hair over the bath as a kid. I don't know why, but it was a thing. It was a thing to wash your hair over the bath. Was it a thing for you as well? Um, 
And then there's another nice thing that you can do, which is the reverse, which is if your hair is fine, have what I call a half shower. And again, I recommend cold water. Seriously, try it. It's amazing. I know you don't think you want to, but it'll change your life. But I like a half shower and that's where the hair is perfect. So what I do is I get into the shower. I normally will use one of those hair bands just to hold my hair back away from my face. And I've got cold water and I, 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 I spray the cold water on my body and I have soap on my face, under my arms, the nether regions. And then you wash it off with the cold water. Your hair's still dry. You get out of the bath, you dry yourself off and you feel so good. And you've had what I call a half shower and all the key bits of your body are now clean. And you didn't have to wash your hair and you don't have to blow dry it or worry about product because it was perfect when you started. So how about that for a top tip? Can you believe that we've managed 52 minutes? That's decent, isn't it? I was, I did say it was going to be a quick one and I thought it would be half an hour and it really should have been half an hour. Um, but I've got a lot of love to give, do you know what I mean? And I don't want to say no to you. I know the, the word no is a word of power and a word of love, but I like to say yes to a long podcast because, you know, you've got to have your value for money, haven't you? That is us. 52 minutes and 52 seconds. I'd like to wish you a really great week. Can you wish someone a good week? Oh, well, we've just done that. And what I want you to do is I want you to write that list of no, your list of no, your no list. And these are a list of things that you do not want yourself to do, such as eat donuts, bite your nails, be late for work and shout at your husband. And then I've got a no list of things that you don't want from other people. You don't want Barry to leave the window open when he leaves the house. and You don't want to do uh, the field trip with the team at work and this and that, all those examples. And it will be a beautiful thing. So I hope it's helpful to you. And I cannot wait to see you next time. And uh, yeah, go and have a great seven days. Life is difficult. That is not a problem. That is actually why it's so great. Goodbye. Goodbye.